0: It, uh, it took a little while this year, it felt like, for uh, spring to know that it was supposed to be here. Um, I appreciate it, Jesse, the way you, uh, in your prayer, uh, the way you thanked God for springtime and the viciousness with which uh, it was coming. Um, before we keep going, though, we are going to dismiss the children for Children's Church. So, uh, two to six, you want to run on out to the back and head downstairs for, for Children's Church. Uh, not quite sure uh, how safe it is to say this here. I'm not totally sure what type of uh, fanatic sports fans we all have here and who they all root for. But somebody told me that, um, that the reason why the weather pattern was a little confused this spring um, and the reason why spring didn't actually know that it was supposed to show up was because the Maple Leafs were still playing hockey. Now that that has been rectified, apparently spring has come in full force. It knows that it is time to be here. I know that I've mentioned this before, but I can't help but, uh, but be excited when I see the action start uh, in springtime. Particularly when I see the action uh, on the fields. And uh, that that kind of kicked into full gear. At least it felt that way from the sidelines this last week. and. Um, you know, part of that simply is, I think, the excitement of knowing that the uh, that we can finally kind of say goodbye to winter and and the frigid temperatures of winter, the coldness of winter, and uh, we can finally begin to anticipate again a much more pleasant uh, temperature. Uh, but I think, for me, still the bigger part of the excitement of spring and uh, and particularly the the excitement of seeing. The, um, the action, particularly on the fields, is the, um, I was trying to figure out how to say this, the hope of seeding, uh, the anticipation uh, of putting seed in the soil. In some way, maybe the suspense of putting seed in the soil. You know, how is this going to turn out this year? Uh, we put the seed in the ground uh, purely and totally in the hope that something productive is going to happen with it and then we and then we step back to some degree and we watch to see what will happen uh, many of you i think have seen or experienced or maybe even helped uh, children to experience this excitement in a way where you where you put some seed in the soil together with a child and you try to explain to them this concept and this idea that that this seed is going to somehow begin to grow and begin to become a plant. And, uh, And I know that this has happened in our house years ago and and then, and then day after day, you know, the, the child running to that little cup that you have or that little container with the egg carton or whatever, whatever you use. And then all of a sudden one day, the, 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 the dirt kind of breaks apart and there's this little green thing that comes out. And the excitement of this child jumping up and down. And there's this, this it's coming, mommy, it's coming. It's, this plant is coming out. And... Um, and so of course, we adults we are much more stoic and relaxed and once we've done a good analysis to make sure that it's not just actually some wild weed, um, but it is actually the plant that we that we seeded, uh, we actually feel like doing the same thing that our child does, but we of course we we pretend to be much more mature and much more relaxed, and we don't actually jump up and down with the same excitement. But there is something about spring and seeing the emergence of a plant coming out of the soil that actually kind of makes you want to jump up and down a little bit because, because of the excitement of what is happening with this with this seed. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's incredible. And so it's it's all of that excitement that that kind of builds inside of me when we, when we come into springtime and when we see the action of seeding happening. Now, I'm fully aware that only a small percentage of you sitting here and listening to me this morning are specifically crop farmers. Some of you are and, and I'm pumped about that. But it is still very much part of the DNA of, of, our, of our community here and, uh, and in many ways the spin-offs of those crops still in many ways dictate the economy uh, of our area. And beyond that, actually, this is something that struck me again this week as I was thinking a little more about this. It is ultimately those crops that feed the world. And I wonder if we've kind of lost sight of that, or maybe we've never fully had sight of that. I'm not totally sure. Um, That is the food for the world. That is what's intended ultimately as it keeps going. That is what it's all about. And, uh, and I often feel like that truth maybe has kind of been lost in the shuffle someplace. Um, it's incredible, really, if you think of it. We're feeding the world. And so this seeding thing... It happens. It happens on the field and in large scales. It's fantastic. Uh, but it really happens all over the place uh, when it comes to springtime. It happens in gardens and in greenhouses and in planters and pots. Um, actually, last night or, or yesterday, um, apparently there was a pot party in Steinbeck. Did you know that? Um, Pearl was actually planning to go there and, and she decided not to and I was, I was actually very disappointed. Because I was looking forward to telling you that Pearl had been to a pot party last night. Uh, where were we? <laughs> Seating. Seating. Uh, amazing activity, really, if you, if you think of it. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that this morning. We've just come through a pretty good study on the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, Jesse did a very good job uh, last week, so I've heard, we weren't here, but uh, I've heard, did a good job last week of kind of wrapping it up with a good look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We tried, as those of us that that took part in in speaking the messages on 1 Corinthians chapter 14, our intent for sure was to try and do a, a good kind of, and to present kind of a good systematic study of this book of the Bible and uh, the message today, I'm, I'm going to be honest, the message today is going to be uh, a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit more like, a, like an object lesson. See, the Bible speaks quite a bit about seeding. Uh, several different places and in uh, several different ways, uh, it actually uses this very fundamental fact of life, uh, seed seed. Time is the word that we're going to use. It's also used in the Bible a few times. Seed time. It actually uses that several different places in the Bible as a, as an illustration or as a reminder of how life in the big picture works. And so, I want to grab four short little sections from the Bible, front to back, this morning, and uh, and expand briefly uh, on four little lessons, uh, illustrations that are taught. In the Bible, from this concept or this idea of, of seed time or seeding. The first such reference is in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. The first one that I want to point to this morning, anyways. Uh, the few, huge flood. Noah's ark, Noah's flood, uh, has just finished happening. The waters have receded. The ark has come to rest. And God has invited Noah and his family to come out of the ark and to step back onto dry land and basically to start life in the big picture, to start life over again. And this is what God says at this moment in, in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. And so to begin with, I want to I I say it like this. Um, God uses seed time to speak his assurance to humanity. Um, in this very unique moment in human history... There are eight people, and they're standing there. And I've tried to imagine what this would have felt like. Uh, They're standing there outside of of, of the ark. The earth has been devastated by a flood. Everywhere they look, there is simply uh, simply and total devastation. Yes, as a family, the eight of them, uh, they've been saved. They're standing there together, but they look, and everywhere they look, Devastation. And I can imagine them standing there and looking, blankly staring, and thinking, now what? Um, To some degree, some of you can do more than just imagine. There have been floods in our area here also. And some of you can vividly remember when you came back to your home, to your yard... And you stood in the middle of the yard, kind of with that blank stare on your face. What now? What what next? And um, I, I have no idea what to do now, I, where to start, what to think. I don't see how life can even really go on. I remember uh, Pearl and I, we watched a movie together about the tsunami that happened in much of Asia in 2004, along the coastline at least, of much of Asia 2004. And I, I kind of remember that picture, seeing that picture, and here was this mom and this little boy that found each other. They were stuck in the trees somewhere and they found each other and, and here they were kind of clinging to each other and they were looking and all they saw was devastation. And just the hopeless that the movie was able to portray. As they were standing there staring around them at everything that was just destroyed and and devastated. Absolute hopelessness. For those of you that have not experienced this specifically in the sense of a flood, most of you have experienced something like this in some way in life. Uh, because of your life circumstances, Uh, Whatever they were at that moment or are at that moment, everything is a blur in front of you. Life and the future, what now? What now? Everything is just so totally up in the air and unknown and you need to do something to start moving and to start putting things back in place, but you have you have no idea where to start. Everything is up in the air and, and nothing seems certain. Uh, and, and that happens physically as a result of floods or tornadoes or fires. Uh, Certainly, I believe it has happened to all of us in some way, shape, or form at some point Uh, as the result of a death or an accident or a sickness or a depression or an addiction or some other crazy life-altering circumstance that that you've encountered when your heart and your mind and your spirit, you were just kind of standing there and staring into oblivion. And the big question, now what? You may not even have had what it took actually to ask it at that moment but that's, that's what your spirit was saying. So try to imagine for a moment, here, here are Noah and his family and, and physically and psychologically and emotionally and spiritually, you have to believe that they were just kind of in a haze and a fog and a blur, nothing clear, nothing certain. What does God say to them at that moment? It seems interesting to me, but it, I hope I'm not making more of this than what it was intended to be, but it, it seems interesting to me that at that moment God thought it would be good to remind them about the fact that there will again be seed time and harvest. As, in fact, I'm going to remind them that from now on always there will be Seed time and harvest. And so God uses this seed time and harvest picture to present a promise to Noah and his family. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest. God's promise, God's assurance. Sometimes when life gets very fuzzy and and we don't know what and how and where... uh, God wants you to hear his words of assurance. And somehow God's promises can be heard well. I was going to say best. In the context of a reminder about seed time and harvest. And God says in the picture of seed time. God says here's my assurance to you. You're going to be okay keep going take the next step and the next and the next and so that's kind of my first seed time truth that I want to point us to this morning I think it's pretty relevant across the board for all of us God's assuring promise and so as you look at seeding as you look at plants emerging from the soil know that it's, it's a little message from God of assurance. The cycle will continue. The earth will keep turning. Life will keep going. I've got you. Second seed time truth that I want to point to, I'm going to say it like this. Um, God makes things grow. And I'm going to use a little section from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. Uh, the last of that you're going to see up on the screen also. Uh, it says this, What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, and this is where you pick it up on the screen. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything... But only God who makes things grow. Um, About three years ago, I preached a message here. As harvest was about to begin and get into full swing, and I hope a few of you remember at least this little word that we used over and over, and that was the word first fruits. In Exodus chapter 34, God outlines for the people how how they are supposed to do their spiritual holidays in that Old Testament time, and, and their festivals and their feasts. And God says to them that every year they're supposed to celebrate three very special uh, feasts or festivals. And each of them had a very specific purpose. (coughs) And the timing was significant. One of them was called the Feast of Weeks. Where they were to celebrate the first fruits of the crop. And one of the reasons that they were to stop after the first truck is full... It's not exactly what it says in Exodus 34, the Old Testament, but that's the paraphrase version for our time. Um, one of the reasons why they were to stop after the first truck was full, uh, they were to take a good look at the first fruits and celebrate those first fruits, was to remind themselves that it is God that makes it grow. Seed time is fantastic. It's it's exciting. It's life-giving. But it's only that because of the anticipation and the hope and the assurance that this seed that you are putting into the ground is actually going to grow. And here's the unique thing. You and I don't actually have anything to do with that at all. We actually don't have anything to do with the growth of the seed. Oh yeah, we, we, can, we take good care of the seed and I think there's treatment that happens to help germination and all kinds of things. But, but once the seed has germinated, oh, and you can do some spraying to help eliminate some of the competition, absolutely, but for that seed, for that particular, and you can give it a little bit of fertilizer, but you cannot make it grow. that's God's job. It's God's job to make things grow. And sometimes I think that maybe we take that for granted. And, and maybe legitimately so, because I mean, after all, it's happened year after year after year. There's a, there's a, there's a consistent Um, pattern here it always happens and so I mean obviously it's gonna happen again this year and that is exactly why God asked them to do this celebration or this Feast of Weeks where they celebrated the first fruits is because he acknowledged and recognized that unless I'm gonna ask these people to stop they will forget about the fact that actually it was me that made it grow in the first place We put the seed in the ground, and then we stand back, and we wait two months, and then we come back and do that. I know there's a little more to that, and I I, I already said that, but God makes it grow and mature and ripen. And I believe God says, unless you stop and celebrate a festival, the people aren't going to remember that. I make the seed grow. And so I think we've kind of come to um, uh, take that for granted in the physical sense. But in the rest of life, I sometimes wonder if we actually maybe err on the opposite side. Where we actually maybe don't always believe this principle enough. And we begin to take responsibility for things that we were not intended to take responsibility for. See, in the verses that I just finished reading here in 1 Corinthians, um, Paul was reminding the people... That, yeah, they had preached and they had planted the seed and everything, but, but God was the one that had been taking, was the one that takes responsibility for the growing to happen. It happens in the lives of your children, in the lives of your Sunday school kids, or your youth, or all the many other people that you connect with in your life. You are responsible to seed good seeds, absolutely, wherever you go and whatever you do in life, spread good seeds. but God is responsible for the growth. God makes the... I have struggled with this like crazy as a pastor. I know it. I believe it. But in my heart and in my mind, to live it and to think it, I find that incredibly difficult. But I know it's true. I say the same thing, and countless people hear me say it, whether in preaching or in one-on-one times or marriage counseling or whatever it is. I say it and say it and say it, but... I have no ability to change hearts, zero. That is completely God's responsibility. God is responsible for the growing. We plant, we water, but God makes things grow. That truth is real physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and I'm gonna say today that seed time, if you stop and let it sink in, reminds us of this reality. God makes it grow. Third, seed time truth. Given to us in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Um, Again, it's so simple that it hardly even bears speaking in a way. And yet, it is given to us in scripture. And it's important for us to acknowledge and recognize again. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows very very basic principle you want to harvest peas in your garden in July or in June in Maryland's case then you need to put peas seed into the ground you want to harvest carrots then put carrot seed in the ground you want to harvest beans, then put bean seed in the ground. We know that, it's, it makes, it's, it's it. You want to harvest canola, then you better auger canola seed into the seed wagon. You want wheat, make sure that it is wheat that you are augering out of the bin and into the truck that's headed for the field. It's about as simple as it gets. You want to pick apples from your tree in a few years? Well then you better plant an apple tree. Make sure you pick the variety that you want. That's just how it works, as mysterious as the actual germination process and the growing process is, this principle is not mysterious at all. You reap what you sow. Physically, for sure. But it's also generally a life principle. Generally. Yes, there's exceptions. Pearl and I traveled to Graysville last weekend. We preached in the little Mennonite church there last Sunday. One of the people that attends that church is Lynn's, Rance's brother. I don't see Keith and Lynn here this morning. Uh, Maybe they're on a motorbike someplace. Who knows? Hopefully not, actually. Oh, there he is. Right on. The motorbike, the wind blew him in. One uh, One of the people in the church is Lynn's brother, Alan. And we had lunch together with him, and it was a treat to have lunch together with him. And he was telling us about one of his apple trees. Um... And he has grafted branches into that tree. In fact, he told us that he had grafted three different types of apple tree branches into one tree. So he actually gets four different types of apples from one tree. This is way beyond me. And, uh, and I was wondering if maybe we could use this as an illustration of the fact that in life too, there's occasionally exceptions to this rule of, of reaping what you sow. Maybe it's not good. I wanted to share the story anyways. Maybe you don't always reap what you sow. I still believe, though, that it's a fair principle. In general, it's still an accurate life principle. And it's, it's accurate in the positive direction, and I would also say it's accurate in the negative direction. A few weeks ago, we spent time here talking about about loving people and and pouring your heart into other people's lives and giving of yourself for people. And and I'm going to say today that when that is a life pattern for you, that comes back to you. You reap What you sow, generally speaking, when you decide to put yourself into your job wholeheartedly and you don't complain and you work hard and you do excellent work regardless of whether your boss is watching you or not, there will be rewards. You reap what you sow. You take the time to feed yourself with the Bible day in and day out. That changes what you harvest at the end of the day. You take the time to teach and train and discipline and play with your children. That has an impact on the crop that you harvest later. That doesn't ensure that everything will be perfect. That's not what I said. But I said it will have an impact on the crop that you harvest later. You listen to music and watch movies that build up. Your values and your morals, it impacts the crop that you will harvest later on in your life at some point. You speak positively toward people and you build people up and bless them and encourage them. That will impact the kind of crop that you will harvest later. You reap what you sow. And the same, of course, happens on the, on the other side of the coin or on the negative side of the coin. You make it a habit to break the law, whether in traffic or with your taxes or in business. That will impact the harvest that you can expect down the road. You want to mess around with too much drugs or too much alcohol or pornography or illicit sex. Whatever it is, remember the very simple and basic life principle. You reap what you sow. Let me quickly add a fourth seed time principle. This one is found in John chapter 12, verse 23 and 25, or 225. Um, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus was speaking this to his disciples just before he was going go to go the, to the cross, just before he was going to die, just before he was going to sacrifice his life. Jesus speaks these words. The hour has come, it's just around the corner, for the Son of Man to be glorified. Uh, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Uh, But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Seeds die and give new life. It's interesting, really, the seeding thing that happens in spring. Um, you go out and you buy expensive seeds, and then you put them into the cold, wet ground to decay. Right? It's essentially what you do with a seed. We want those seeds to die. Because as they die, they turn around and they produce many times what they were in and of themselves. That cannot happen if the seed is consumed with staying alive itself. It's a little sobering, actually. Maybe not the best way to end this message. I'm I'm not sure. We... We totally get what I just finished saying. We we know that. We're okay with that when it comes to biology. Cool. And Jesus picks up on this seed time principle, this very basic biological principle, uh, just before he is going to die. And he he says, uh, this is what happens in the world of biology, but it is also what happens in life as you become consumed with saving your own life and and staying alive and making your life comfortable and having everything handed to you and doing what you want, if you can turn around and let go of that and become less consumed with saving your own life, Less consumed with making your life comfortable. Less consumed with having everything handed to you. Less consumed with everything going your way. And you begin to have an impact on others. And as you share what you have with others up to and including your very life. Jesus says, amazing things will happen. From your one seed when you are willing to allow it to die. Jesus is actually pretty clear about this. If you want to be one of my disciples... Disciples follow their leader. Actually, the very definition of the word disciple is follower. If you want to be one of my disciples, Jesus has asked that question, what, what, what are we supposed to do if we want to be one of your disciples? And Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's what it's all about, to follow Jesus. And then Jesus says, you know what happens to seeds, right? That's the exact same thing that, that I'm telling you, that I desire from you. When seeds are willing to die, they begin to really give new life. So there you have it. Seed time. Exciting time of year. Uh, also, a time to give a little extra thought, I'm going to suggest today, to the life principles that are illustrated by this very activity of seating in the Bible. Amen.